0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. I'm Rick Morton, along with my co-host Phil Dark. Phil, how's it going today?
1: It's going really well. I'm, I, you know, I am excited, even though. Everyone is predicting because we're recording this on November 2nd. For those of you not in the United States, everyone's predicting that there's going to be a meltdown and and war and riots and looting and pretty much anything that can happen. Everyone is predicting it's going to happen over the next three days. I don't think it's going to personally, but I might be I might be found out to be wrong. You're going to be listening to this after everything goes down. So you're going to either know I'm right or I'm wrong. And I'm hopeful that I'm right um, for everyone's sake. Uh, But I I just I just have a, you know, more faith in the human human race. Maybe that's not not justified. Uh, Maybe I just think it's because people don't want to burn down and destroy their own country, even in foreign countries. Sometimes I've seen uh, (laughs) elections, you know, end and people freak out and they don't burn down their own country that I've seen anyway. So I know it's happened in the past. I just don't think it's going to happen tomorrow or Wednesday or whenever we know the, the, the results of this election, but why I'm even more excited today um, than, you know, hopefully not having the end of our country tomorrow is the fact that we get to go back over all this. Ama- I mean, honestly, I, as I'm going back over this season, I know we've had some phenomenal seasons, you know season 1 was great that had dr rick morton on it for the first time but you know this season is probably i, I just listened to the content we've had the season. i think it might be our best one but you know that's that's and that's saying a lot cuz we've had some pretty amazing content how are you doing, man? You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you're as excited as I am to go over these episodes, but we got I'm cool not, stuff.
0: I am, I'm am not as excited about it as you are about tomorrow, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're not, I mean, we're not at the point of like sorting rice and beans and planning to stay in for the rest of our lives, but you yeah, know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anxiety around the, you know, around the election stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of ready to get this over with, quite honestly. Uh, other than that, we're great. You know, we're, we're plugging right along. Um, trying to wind the year up well ministry wise and, you know, having a good time and and like, how can I not be excited, man? I'm talking to you, right? Like I, like I'm, I'm getting an opportunity to talk to you and hang out with our, with our listeners and and talk about some great guests that we've had on uh, over the course of the first half of the season. And so how bad can it be? Right?
1: Well, I'm going to say a couple of things to that. First of all, again, I've said this before on the show, I think, you know, you set some pretty low bars. So that's definitely <laughs> one of the low bars you've had. It's if that gets you excited to talk with me, I have many people who will tell you that's nothing to be excited about. Um, in fact, a lot of people probably avoid it because I talk too much. The other thing I want to clarify is I'm not excited necessarily about tomorrow and what well, might happen. I'm well, excited for be sounded- over I'm excited for it to be over. And I don't think all this stuff that everyone's talking about is going to happen. So I'm I'm I am excited to hopefully find out that I'm right on that.
0: I'm gonna um, need our listeners. I'm gonna need our listeners to write in and and to give us give me on a scale of one to ten. Do you think Phil one is not excited? Do you think Phil is excited would be a 10? Because I think he was right about a nine and a half up there. He's really kind of looking forward to tomorrow. I could hear it in his voice. Well, I
1: am looking forward to it. And I said, why? Because it's all gonna be over, like you said. But I, I just think I you know, again, I'm excited to find out that again, I'm I think I'm gonna be right. The fact it's not gonna everything's not gonna blow up. Um there's gonna be things going on, people aren't gonna be happy. 50% of the country or fifty one percent or forty-nine percent or whatever it is, are gonna be really not happy with the results, I think. But as I've seen over the last however long, there's 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 good kings and there's bad kings, as we've seen throughout history. Right. And life goes on. We've had right. every election and however long everyone said this is going to be the end of the world. And you know what? It's not.
0: Hey, and watch this. Watch on. this. God's still on his throne, man.
1: That's exactly like, right.
0: That's that's the and that's not a Jesus juke. That's that's the real deal that's that uh, right. it really doesn't matter how this turns out. And, uh, you know, and we get and And like, look, on the on Election Eve, we get to sit here and talk about some uh, some great stuff and some great folks that we've right. had that's right come through the podcast so absolutely so let's start let's Let's start start.
1: so the last you know we started this season talking about you know kind of we had our kickoff show we talked about race relations we talked about actually the the when black lives matter was the george floyd had just happened black lives Mm -hmm. matter a lot of the protests were going on a lot of the conversations were going on that was you know it, it seems like that was ages and ages ago but it wasn't that long ago that we had that conversation. And, I, you know, if you didn't listen to that, folks, I think it was it's it's and, you know, it's still relevant, very relevant. And it's I think it's going to be more and more relevant, especially as we talked about as as we come off the election, as people are are hopefully wanting to have conversations and continue to have conversations um, as we talked about in that it's really about you know, listening and understanding others. I had a conversation, in fact, this afternoon with someone that we disagree on a lot of things, but to have the conversation, to listen to each other, to understand each other's positions and, you know, walk away saying, you know what, we got to agree to disagree and let's, let's move on. So, um, you know, what'd you, what do you think? Just kind of looking back on that conversation, I listened to it again. Um, and you know, it was, I, I was,
0: you know, you know I, moved I think by it again, actually, with a little more time to reflect, I think also, um, it, you know, it, it just kind of leads me back to even the purpose of of this podcast and why we do what we do. I mean, we're we're all doing this because because God has called us to be a voice for the voiceless, right? Like we we've, we've been called to, you know, to to give voice for those that are that are you know downtrodden, oppressed, and 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 unable to. Uh, affect themselves and 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 change their own circumstances and and that's you know kind of the center of what our orphan care really is all about and and i think that applies as well you know in this conversation that we have people that are in uh, you know majority positions and minority positions all over the world for a lot of different reasons some of that because of race some of that because of socioeconomic status some of that because of you know, a host of other things that maybe are are not getting the focus right now, but but our responsibility as as followers of Christ is to um you know to look in, into those people that are that are being oppressed to seek justice for them um and and to do that in ways that that honor them as uh, you know as, as men and women, boys and girls that are created in the image of God. And and I think that, you know, that doesn't change and and, and, and that's not, that's not, you know, that has nothing to do with the the way political winds are blowing today or, or how, you know, how we see our, our particular moment in history, that's a, that's a call that's universal. And so I think, you know, what I would say to our listeners, what we try to hold ourselves accountable to as a, you know, family and a church and, and all those, you know, those places where, uh, you know, where we, we take up residence and have identity is to, is to live out that you know, that call for justice. And I think it's profitable for us to have a conversation that continues. And I think it does still continue. And it may not be, you know, we may not, may not be in the middle of rioting. We may not be in the middle of, of civil unrest, but we don't have to have civil unrest to um, and and, and we don't have to have fresh raw nerves in order to have productive conversations. And, and so, um, you know, I think as, as we, you know, just as we continue to to push forward, part of the responsibility is not to not to forget the difficulty and the pain of those moments, but to to press in and and to seek solutions. And, and I think for us, those are you know those are God honoring solutions, and those are those are things that ultimately you know reflect the, the the heart of God that has to be kind of the the center point of what we do. So you know, that's kind of where where I am after further reflection, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, like you said, I mean, it really was a good picture of why we do what we do. You know, it was something that I think that we both you and I, why we do this is to help people understand um, really how how we see the, the Bible instructs us to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause, you know, to to, you know, have all of these different verses, all of the different scriptures that talk to us about justice, you know, and what that looks like, you know, to do justice, right? Because I think it's, it's not simple, right? It's not a simple black and white. Here's what justice means in every situation, right? It's something that we, as we talk about all these other interviews that we've had this season, as we look back over the course of this This podcast, as we look over the course of the work that we've done of orphanology, of In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence, of all the other books is, you know, Johnny Carr's book called Orphan Justice. These are nuanced issues. These are nuanced situations. These aren't things that have a simple answer. And, you know, and I think that's something that as we talk through today, that will be clearer and clearer. And it's something that that's why we do what we do so we can have these great conversations with people to talk through these nuances, to talk through these difficult situations, to help people understand that, you know, you have your core convictions and your beliefs, and we do too. and you know, when you're looking at any individual situation, sometimes it's blurred a little bit as far as what that looks like in that specific situation. And, you know, and I, I, I look at that and I say, the first interview we did this season actually conveys that it shows that right. Karen Springs, what a great book she was able to write in, you know, adoption through the rearview mirror that we talked about in that interview. But one of the things that she, you know, really talked about was her unique perspective that she had in Ukraine, really having a place where people were staying when they were um, in the adoption process and coming over to be able to bring their child home to the United States. And she was able to host them and hear their stories and hear their perspectives. And then she was able to visit them after the fact. And that's really what this book is about. And that's what we were able to talk about. But going back to the nuances of it, you know, There's some of those that they were really difficult situations. There were disruptions. There were things that happened that weren't ideal. And, you know, some people would say, well, if you're in a black and white world, we shouldn't adopt internationally. You see, it doesn't work. There's disruptions. So why would you do it? Right. But it's not that simple. Right. So what do you think of that interview, that conversation, you know, with, with Karen? I loved how she said it's, you know, we have to one of the things she talked about was she wanted to tell the story about life after happily ever after. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what did you think of that interview of that conversation? I know that you loved it during the conversation but just yeah. kind of well, reflecting and, on
0: it. You know, and and I mean Karen's a dear friend and and so there's a you know there's a a piece of this that there was no surprise in what really came you know came out of the book just knowing the you know knowing the person and I think um the thing I love the most is she told the truth. Um you know she didn't Um, we, we say all the time, you know, in, in international adoption circles, I mean, there, there's, there are no, there are no fairy tales. Um, and, and she did a, she did a great job of, I think, telling, you know, good stories, true stories, but, but, but understanding that, you know, all of us, all of our stories on some level are, are shades of, of gray. There's good and bad. There's. You know positive and negative in in the course of those stories. and and I think rather than having to to feel like she you know had to to conserve details or to romanticize things or or those kinds of things, she you know she ultimately felt like um that the you know the the honorable thing to do and the right thing to do was to you know to tell the to tell the truth. and and I think it, it's you know we we need to hear more of that in in this community. we i think, you know the, the most underrepresented voices in in the adoption community are are adult adoptees or or those that have, you know that have have walked through that and and are on the other side and 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 so so I appreciated her giving voice to you know to many of the stories and and I think you know being able to see it through her eyes of someone who had you know given and sacrificed and and had worked very hard in, you know, in the lives of those, those families. I think they're, you know, you could understand if she wanted to sort of bend and stretch and try to tell those stories in ways that were, you know, just overtly, um, you know, always positive, but, but she didn't. And and I think it highlights the need for pre-adoptive education. It hides the need or highlights the need for support. And, you know the the fact is that that really you know in churches and in other places where we're calling people out to you know to do this kind of work and to to be these kind of families we're we're derelict if we're if we're only calling them to that and then not realizing the you know support they're going to need and the resources they're going to need and the you know the lifetime commitment that it is. I was talking to you know a dad of of a number of uh, adult international adoptees today. And he and I were talking about the fact that, you know, this is, this is not a, this is not a story that ends when you're, you know, when your kids are grown, there's still, you know, layers of, uh, of that story that continue to, to develop. And, and, and some of those things are, are fantastic and wonderful and, you know, and awesome. And there are still some hard things and some hard consequences and, you know, and, and and we find our we find our kids journeying through things that are that are layers of their past and layers of their experiences and layers of leaving a culture and coming to another one and all kinds of things that are difficult. And but but the only way the only way we rob power from all that sort of stuff is by putting light on it and, and by, you know, by talking about it and delving into it. And and I appreciate the fact that, you know, Karen catalyzed that conversation, because I, I think, you know, one of the things we talked about in the interview is this idea. And I think particularly in the Christian community that that we have a tendency for people to live behind masks, right? Like we, we tend to try to pretend that everything is okay, even when it's not okay. And, and I think part of the reality of what her book brings to the surface is that that it's okay not to be okay. Um, It's okay. It's okay to be, you know, it's okay to be messy and it's okay to be complex. And and, and none of that necessarily means that it's bad. Um, and and we we probably buy a big lie often that says we have to have this idyllic picture of, you know, of of what life should be. And kind of this, um, you know, this facade when when truly that's, you know, that's a standard we can't be held to. And it's a you know, it, it's a calling we shouldn't embrace. So I, you know, I loved it. I, I would have recommended that book far and wide to lots and lots of people and continue to, and just, you know, am really, really thankful that, that Karen, um, went on the journey and wrote it, you know,
1: definitely. And I think that that, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to that interview, she talks about so many important things. She talks about, you know, the importance of adoptive parents, reframing their expectations, redefining success. She talked about redemptive suffering, blessings redefined, all of which is in her book as well. Um, so I would definitely, I'd recommend the book, Adoption Through the Rearview Mirror. I'd recommend that podcast episode to hear just, a, you know, some some more context into some of those stories, into some of the stuff in the book to hear her you know her thoughts behind what she actually wrote which was was amazing as well and so you know and that the same idea right as we talked about even this why we do what we do and i think that idea of, as I said earlier, the bringing justice to the fatherless, the pleading the widow's cause, you know, so much of that is is family and the importance of family mm-hmm. and bringing family around these children. And that's so critical. And that I think was the next couple guests we had yep. um, were, and actually the next several guests we had yes, right. <laughs> talked about that. But I think that the idea of the foster care side of things and the adoption side of things, you know, obviously Karen had that as well, but DJ Jordan and Todd Shipman, Um, we're, we're similar conversations, um, in the sense of they were, they're both real foster care adoption advocates. Mm -hmm. Um, Todd came at it from the pastoral perspective. DJ comes at it really from the political sphere, the government sphere and the lobbyist side of things. But one of the things that DJ talked about that again, goes to that nuance that we talked about earlier is really the idea of how skepticism surrounding the system can be a barrier to people Mm -hmm. getting involved in foster care and adoption. And, and, you know, he even talked in that interview and I don't remember if it was in context of that question or a different question that we asked, but the idea of in the, in the black community, oftentimes there is that skepticism of the system. And so they often are doing this care. It's just kind of, under the right. radar, right? It's has right. been talk about the grandma or the Nana, I think is what he said, or Nene mm-hmm. or something like that, where she's in the community taking in kids and no one, you know, the government doesn't know it. Right. So that's going right. on. It's just because there's skepticism. So what, what, what really stood out to you in that, in that DJ interview well, going into Todd as well? That, um, I mean, is that thing? was a
0: piece of it. I mean, honestly, that was a piece of it from, you know, from DJ's interview. And I, I think the, you know, the takeaway for me for that is, um, we, we've got to find ways to be able to, to resource uh, the African-American church. And the, the fact is that they, they are doing foster care. They may not be doing it the way that, you know, that necessarily um, it, it's organized by the government to be done, but they're, I mean, they're doing out of home temporary care, sometimes permanent care all the time, you know, with, within the community. And, and I think one of the things I, that it was, it kind of struck, you know, fresh and anew for me is just this idea that that many of those people are doing that with without all the support that they need, and and so you know, finding ways to be able to to bring some of the things that we have and some of the things that we've you know that we've come to know about foster care, bringing that to bear is is a really important dialogue that I think you know I think we need to start and and personally from having you know kind of been in that world some. I think there's, I think there's great, um, there's eagerness and there's great opportunity, but I think it's going to be a conversation that's going to be slow. You know, it's going to be, we, we want to see, um, you know, wide acceptance very quickly. We want to see, you know, kind of those, those bridges being built. And, and I think the, the, the truth is that we have some, you know, we kind of have some cultural things to get past and we have some, you know some understanding and and thing that things that that we need to gain in order to you know really best be able to to engage that i think another thing that dj said that was you know was hugely important and i don't know that he ever emphasized it in in a but it was throughout a lot of what he said and it was it was the role of his own family it was the ro- role of his own dad in in you know kind of shaping him to be the man that he is today and so a, a huge portion of um, you know what he's doing, and and the way he's engaging, both both personally and and also professionally, comes out of a heritage of of a mom and dad that you know thought that way and believed that way, and uh, you know a, a church culture that that had you know a, a servant's heart to it, and and so DJ didn't become the guy that he became to to do what it is that he's doing in. He, he did it not because he was reacting against his his upbringing he was doing it because it's a natural extension of who you know of of who he was raised to be and and i just think that's a tremendous testimony to um you know to 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 his his you know his father's his family um and and one of the real passionate things that you see is is this guy who is who is very dedicated to um to stepping into places of fatherlessness and it's not because it's not because he experienced that himself. It's quite to the contrary. He experienced the the benefit and the love of a, of a, of a father. And so, you know, he's, he's pouring that in well. And I, I just, I love that about him. Um, you know, with Todd, I, I think, um, you know, Todd's a, Todd's an academic and, and he's a, you know, he's a guy who who teaches biblical studies and teaches theology. And so that's kind of the place that he's going to start. And I think the, you know one of the things that i just appreciate so much about how he speaks into the church is is this idea that this is not to to care for orphans and widows is not an extra biblical idea it's a it's a centrally biblical idea and and in an age where there's so much conversation around the gospel and what is the gospel and how do we live out the gospel and and there's you know even wide skepticism in some evangelical circles about about doing the gospel and, and, and doing justice. And, and can you really do both of those things? Or are they antithetical to one another? He just does a really beautiful job of, of helping to reinforce the idea that they don't sit in opposition to each other, but, but they're, they're complementary. And so, you know, just really appreciate that. The, the fact that, I, you know, I, I love his book and I think if, for those of our, our listeners that are out there, if you're in one of those churches where, you know, your pastor's struggling to get it, and and there's a, you know, there are people within your church that are serving, but you just like it really hasn't taken hold in your church. Todd's book is one of those books you can pick up and put in the hand of your pastor, and and you know you're you're getting someone who is a, you know, who's a, a, a well-trained New Testament scholar who's you know really kind of you know well known that is that makes a credible argument. That helps a pastor to see this in a you know in a very non-threatening sort of way, and and helps to be, helps you know for us to be able to see it through um, you know through a a, a gospel lens um, you know I think Todd pretty much focuses on uh, adoption as you know as kind of the the center point for a lot of what um you know a lot of where he where he begins and ends in that but but the book covers other things and talks about you know, trafficking and, and other places where the, you know, where the church can be involved and, but always on a, on a really solidly, you know, biblical foundation. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it was a great conversation.
1: Now, both of those conversations, I mean, I, if again, if you haven't, listen to any of these conversations we've had in season eight, I encourage you to go back and check them out because they are all solid and, you know, and they're going to train you up and teach you and, and make you think about things that you may not have thought about before. You know, Todd's book also, you know, what Rick didn't say is it goes through and it really just interviews effectively. He interviewed a bunch of different people who have adopted and who have been through this, this orphan care life. You know and and really, what does it look like and And he interviewed them about it, and he talked with them about it, and that's what his book basically is is a chronicle of that, which yeah. is you know it's it's I didn't really think about it until just now, but you know karen and and Todd had a similar you know, chronicling people's experiences. And as you said, social study, really research, which is which was fantastic. Right. And so I think that that was those, both of those were, were great. You know, Todd has, you know, as his appendix of his book, and we talked about it in the interview, just the five key relationships. I'm not going to say them now. You got to go listen to that interview. (laughs) Um, But for any adoptive family, really the five key relationships, and so there are tidbits there are great practical tips there's also just some big picture stuff as rick said from a from an academic who who doesn't speak at that academic ivory tower level. He Mm -hmm. definitely makes it extremely accessible for anyone. And it's something that we had. We just had, I thought it was a great conversation with him. I really enjoyed actually both DJ and Todd are friends of yours, Rick, who who I I met when we interviewed him. And I absolutely loved getting to know them and look forward to getting to know them deeper. So there is the next interview, however, is a guy that I introduced (laughs) to you. And he's a guy that I spent a lot of time with. No um, he's, he was my main co-author on in pursuit of orphan excellence. He has become like a brother to me, a phenomenal guy, um, amazing father and, and, uh, just a guy who is an amazing husband as well. I don't want to neglect that Laura Beth, you'll appreciate that. Um, and, but we talked about, you know, it was actually a two part episode. We had a lot to talk about. We're not going to go into specific, you know, super detail on it, but a couple of the things that, that I just want to highlight is. You know, he we talked about the the collaborative process and the book writing process, and it's something that you know we talked a little bit about in the commentary of that interview. And I just want to point it out again that 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 book became better when Keith became a part of it. Not you know, partly because Pete Keith is is a brilliant man who's a just a deep thinker that you hear in that interview. Just he's not only thoughtful, but he's just just sharp as a tack. And, but he pushed me to be better and I pushed him to be better. Right. And that's really what we talk about in collaboration. It's what we talk about on this show that we want to hopefully be able to push you to be better. And you can push us to be better as we are having these dialogue and conversations um, on whether it's online or if we meet each other in person or or whatnot. But that was something that I saw in that in that book writing process. And so it, as far as the content of that interview, really, the things that stuck out to me and and I don't know if, if they stuck out to you as well, but we, we asked him what he, what he would have done differently if he wrote in pursuit today. And, and, you know, one of them was something we've talked about a lot, which is, which is the gatekeeping. It's something I talked with a lot of people about. We didn't address gatekeeping in that book expressly. Mm -hmm. It was kind of implicit in some of the things we talked about, but it's such a critical aspect of, of the orphan care, um, or the orphan care communities and orphanages that to make sure that you're not just, you know, all welcome, come one, come all uh, in, intake and, and gatekeeping. Um, but the other thing that we talked about really was the idea of, of not only the importance of fathers and family in a children, child's life, but, you know, what about the single moms, you know, because that was one of the misinterpretations of the book that people thought we were saying in the book because there was a subtitle of one of the chapters, you know, in, in hindsight, we probably wouldn't have it, but it said the, the subtitle was Mothers Are Not Enough. And it was really an indictment of the men who aren't stepping up in the families and in the lives of their children. But it sounded like we were saying that single moms can't do it. And that's not at all what we were saying. It's not at all. We're never, we never have said um, anything resembling the fact that single moms can't do it and single moms aren't you know shouldn't be adopting or single moms shouldn't be caring and raising for their kids. To the contrary. And that's what I think Keith talked about in that. And something that he's talked about on many occasions. So that was just, you know, uh, I love the interview. Um, I just loved the fact that I got to hang out with my friend for a long time. <laughs> that alone was worth the time, but I, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think that everyone out there wouldn't have learned from him about what he's learned working in Uganda for 15, actually almost two decades over in Uganda, working under Ugandan leaders. So Rick, well, what'd you think I, about that interview?
0: Yeah and I think that's that's the takeaway is just the the profound humility you know that that he approaches life and ministry with I mean the the fact that um, that he you know he kind of went as this young whippersnapper 15 years ago um, with a lot of zeal into a situation but had the you know had the the uh, the foresight I guess in in that place to humble himself and, and to learn. Um, And, and sometimes, you know, in, in coming out of a first world Western context, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a rare thing to find. And, and the fact that he, you know, he went and listened and was poured into and was ministered to and learned the culture and, but, but valued and esteemed the the experience and the you know and the insight that had had been gained by these older brothers who had been doing this for you know for a long time and, and and it's not lost on me and I hope it's not lost on our listeners that that was not just a that was just not just an operational thing that was a spiritual thing too that that like he he looked at these guys and and they were you know they were kind of spiritual older brothers and fathers that that poured into him and discipled him and you know really in, in enlarged his view of God even in the midst of um, of of enlarging his view you know practically of, of the ministry in in front of him and and I think um, you know we're so quick to go into situations and to want to contribute what we have and want to tell what we know and want to you know, bring to bear those, those things that we believe, you know, that we bring as assets. And I, I mean, he really kind of threw that whole idea on its ear and, and in a, in a great way in, in, you know, in saying that, you know, that really being careful to listen and to learn and to, and, and to dwell and, and, and to, but then seeing the fruit of that 15 years later and and in what, God has produced and what God has done through him and what God has done through others by, you know, by forming that collaboration. And so I'm, you know, um, just, uh, it was great, man. Thanks for, thanks for introducing me to Keith. I mean, you know, being more than a, you know, than a guy that had, had written part of a book, but, but being somebody that we've, you know, got to connect with personally. Um, and, and I hope, you know, I hope the, our listeners are, are, you know, feel like they benefited as much. Um, I know, you know, it was, it was great, um, to get that sort of, uh, that sort of insight from him.
1: Yeah. And it's something that, as you know, you know, writing the book with Tony, when you see, you write a book with someone, you know them, right? Like, so I, I even read it differently than other people read. I mean, I read it and go, man, this is good stuff. But then I, as I'm reading it, I think of the man, you know, in his, living room with his kids with his guitar singing on his monday night worship night or doing the right right you know right. and it's just adds so much so and that's really that kind of that real deal side of things that i think a lot of people as you know i mean it's silly really but people go oh you wrote a book therefore you're on this whatever you know different type of person whatever <laughs> you know whatever it oh, may it just, be and yeah, it's just it's, it it's just so silly yeah, yeah. It just
0: it just personalizes him, and and you know, and and hopefully, I mean that's it kind of doubling back, but I mean that's one of the things about you know about Todd's book that it in in Todd's book the stories that he that he writes in there a lot of those are people that yeah folks are going to know
1: mm-hmm.
0: like they're going to recognize yep. those names and they're going to know that those are those are people they've heard speaking at conferences writing that's other right. books and those kind of things and and part of the part of the great relatability of that book is it is it kind of tells the real life story of some people that you've probably heard piece, pieces and parts of it but maybe yeah. not all of it and yeah so and, well and two, and
1: when somebody else is telling the story versus in a sermon illustration or in something else that you hear, Oh, here's what happened with whatever and to hear it, you know? So anyway, I think that was something, you know, I think we want to move on here, but that was just something else that I think is just really cool that people are able to see, um about about Keith. I was just very, very glad that people got to hear his heart, got to hear his his passion for what he does. But another guy, as you said, Keith was a young whippersnapper when he went into <laughs> Uganda. You know where I'm going with this. Right, right. So our next guest that we were able to interview, what a what a pleasure it was to interview Robert Glover. And you know, I've actually gotten to know his son Josh um uh, just randomly uh is now staying at my parents house but that's a that's a story for another day but i've gotten to know him and and so i hear a lot of these other stories about robert as a young young lad in in england playing soccer and and anyway stories that were kind of fun to put you know put some more context into that pre-china robert glover but i'll tell you what like you know to see his or to hear his story, to watch the documentary children of Shanghai, which is now available to, to, to be able to get a snippet into the book, as many as the stars, which is now available. And I encourage people to go, actually, if you listen to the podcast episode, that's another teaser for that. He gives you an opportunity to get a free copy of the book. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You got to go listen to the podcast episode, but, um, that interview, man, I I, even, I just listened to it the other day. What a, oh my gosh. I mean, just so much there. What an yeah. amazing man. What an amazing story. You know, being, you know, influential, you know, deeply critical aspect of getting over a million children into families in China. I mean, who would have even thought about that over 20 years ago? And yet this man goes in, you know, former English footballer. And he just says, Hey, I can do it. Let's do it. God's, you know, God's behind me. Let's make it happen. Right. And so, you know, even though he hasn't been knighted yet, which we, again, we still got to be working on that Rick. Right. Um, he didn't
0: you know, like you half knighted him in the, in the, in the I, interview, right? Like you tried to go ahead and I'm doing my best. Know, put him over I'm doing the my top.
1: best. I'm doing my best. You know, I can only do so much. I do have an English last name, but that doesn't get me very far in the knighthood categories. So all that to say, Rick, I know you love the interview too, so I want to hear yeah. what you what really stuck out, even you know, reflecting on it.
0: I mean, ag- again, and and this you know, it's not like a broken record, but um it, it's the it's the humility piece of it. I, I think you know, you you listen to Robert's story and 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 the fact is that he went into all of these places and found great favor and and you know and the lord guided his steps and guided his path along the way but he never presented himself as the answer he never he never presented himself as the one who you know knew how to fix things he 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 presented himself as you know one who wanted to be a friend one who wanted to you know, to, to help them reach the ends that they, you know, that they saw were desirable. And, and he, he ultimately earned trust and, and as he earned trust, um, he leveraged that trust in order to bring about change. And, you know, and, and I think uh, uh, again, one of the, you know, one of the things, I mean, yes, he, he, Robert tells an amazing story like he is and, mm-hmm. and you know and, and I mean for crying out loud uh, for those of us from the you know from the south of the u s his his you know his accent alone it makes you want to listen to him for hours, but you know but but you but the the, the truth is that that he um you know, he was he just very patiently i mean it's twenty twenty years of work, and they they saw some extraordinary things happen, have seen some extraordinary things happen. Um, i think hope for some things even you know even greater to happen as a result of the investment that he's made there but the truth is that it all comes back to making an investment you know he he and his wife left england with four kids four small kids and six six, six i thought it was just four okay anyway six even better like right yeah. so but they yeah, the but they got leave already but they leave they leave with their kids and and move to Shanghai, like they, like they, 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 they up and, you know, completely changed their world. And, and he, I mean, again, here's the thing, his, his story is, is to us incredibly impressive because we hear a million kids and that, you know, that, that blows your mind. Um, His story is not better than, someone who's, who's left and is, is toiling away in a, in a, in a, in a village that nobody's ever heard of faithfully caring for kids and shepherding families and, and, and doing the things that, you know, that we know to to be done. I think what, what somebody like Robert, what his story reminds us is that, you know, God will God will take our faithfulness and do with it what he wills. Yeah. But, but you look at, you look at the story and you look at everything. And, and the, this is the thing that's fun to talk to Robert. The thing is like, he, he doesn't start blowing smoke and trying to tell you how all of his efforts added up to the things that he's seen. Right. He just kind of laughs his way through the whole story and has no idea how it all happened. Right. Yep.
1: I mean, he <laughs> you know? even said, I remember when he even said like, <laughs> he went to talk to the Chinese government. He's like, Hey, you know, do you have any numbers? You know how many kids? Like it wasn't like he was tack. You know, keeping a tally right. sheet, right? No. He just like went back after a while. It's like, hey, you know, and they're like, oh, it's well over a million. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, wow, that's awesome. We've hit well, it. But- okay, and now, now we need to change it because it's just like as he he saw that God was doing it, and and. Yeah, it was it was well, very story, evident of that
0: The story that he tells about about, you know, starting the, the soccer team in, mm-hmm. the, in the middle of the child welfare institution. And so basically he takes a bunch of these kids from an orphanage and pulls them together, makes a soccer team out of them. And, you know, they and they win. <laughs> they win everything. Well, like what? In the wor- I mean, but right. th- that story is probably told a thousand times over in different places around the globe every year. And and here's the here's the thing that, that like to me is, is the most impressive of all that we can sit back and we can look at all the things that God did through Robert Glover and did through his family and and celebrate, but 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 what it shows is is nothing more than it, it's a grand story about faithfulness. Hmm. And I and I know there are there are some people that are out there that are listening to our show that are toiling away doing similar things in similar places. And and they're not seeing they're not seeing a million kids see their lives change. They're not seeing a government respond to them. They're not seeing all those kinds of things. And what I want to encourage them to say is still be faithful, mm-hmm. like still and 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 don't think that because th- because that's the that's the humor in the whole thing. When you when you boil it all down in that interview with Robert, it it was like there's not a there's not an ounce of ego in that and and it's and it's just a guy who 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 felt a call who had an ability who went to a place who faithfully stewarded it and 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 things happened that seem impressive to us they seem impressive to him absolutely um but the most impressive thing of, of of the whole story is his his willingness to go his openness to serve his his following of a calling and his integrity to continue to pursue it, and and I, and that's what I hope people will be encouraged by. And I hope you know some folks that are maybe not seeing those kind of results come out of you know come out of their work and come out of their ministry can look at a documentary like you know like this one and can read a book like this one and can be encouraged to say, as as long as I'm serving an audience of one <laughs> with that same sort of faithfulness, that's all that counts. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And I think the one thing to remember, too, about all of it is he didn't show up in China speaking Chinese. He didn't show up in China having all this favor like dumped upon him right away. He was hanging out with the kids, not even being able to eat with the people in the orphanage. Right. You know, that's why he started that soccer team. Right. And. And like you said, it was, you know, it was great to win the championship too. You know, it was kind of like an afterthought, right. like that was cool. But what that did, that was amazing. It was the open door, right? Literally the open door to it literally got in the bowl. Right. And so the, again, you need to listen to the interview for the full story. We're just giving you snippets to hopefully make you hungry. No pun intended. Actually that pun was intended. I'm lying. Um, for, you know, to, to go back and listen to that because it, everything Rick said is absolutely true. The patience, the intentionality, the, the humility that all of that, I believe is why he did have that favor from God to be able to say, God, I have my open hands. I'm going to China and I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I trust that you're going to lead me to these relationships. You're going to lead me to say the right things. You're going to give me the right interpreters. You're going to give me the right people. And we're going to, just keep taking one step forward. It's as we say in our organization, it's let's do the next right thing. Right. And that's just what I felt Robert was doing over the course of 20 years. And we see it here on the other side, but I can imagine three months of hanging out in a country. I knew nothing about with six kids. You know, we were seven weeks in Honduras and my kids were moaning and complaining the whole time about, you know, not, I mean, not all of them. And it wasn't the entire time, but it was a lot of it. Right. And you have these (laughs) young kids and you're like, Oh my gosh, are we doing the right thing? Like it, after just a few months to think 20 years of faithfulness, it's just it's just awesome. So on the other side of that, our last interview of this, at least the last non-recast, we able we were able to throw in at the end Caroline Leaf recast for you because we thought we'd finish it off with another great interview, but we're not we've already talked about that one in the past. It's a great interview. listen to it if you haven't yep. yet. But the last you know fresh interview of season eight that we were able to do is Spencer Reeves. So Spencer's kind of on the other side of that continuum, so to speak, of of being a newbie on the scene, really, relatively. He's been with Child Hope International for a few years, but he's right in the middle of a transition to family-based care from an orphanage there at Child Hope International. That's the amazing thing about Child Hope. We didn't really get into that conversation, but that orphanage was not just some random orphanage in, in Haiti. I mean, it was, but it was also a a subject of a CNN special after the earthquake, it had a lot of, you know, kind of big, uh press so to speak on this orphanage for being an orphanage right and so to now go through a transition he was able to tell us really in the middle of this transition the the struggles with donors the struggles with staff to be able to 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 move them along on this transition when this is what you were always doing from child sponsorship to family sponsorship and these just these different changes that are real paradigm shifts quite frankly for their their board and their staff and and as we said in that, in that interview or as i said i mean rick would like to claim it but as i said it's like you know if you want to learn football you go and you watch some movies you 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 talk to coaches you you read some different books on it but if you really want to feel what it's like to get hit you need to talk with someone who's actually in the game right now. And that's the thing about spencers he's really in the game. He's talking with all the best of the best that we've had on this show. Um, but he's also a guy who's in the game right now. And I thought that's what I thought it was just a really raw, fresh interview that was just kind of, as we said in that interview, I mean, as we said in the commentary afterwards, uh, um, you know, it's, it's like he's still working through it as yeah. he's answering the questions. Right. So yeah. anything else from you on that one?
0: No, I I just, I think it, you know, it was a, it was a good reflection of somebody who didn't, you know, necessarily have all the answers and didn't feel compelled to have to pretend that he had all the Mm. answers. And, Mm. and that was kind of, that was kind of refreshing. And so, you know, he's, he's committed to some things and, and is committed to some direction and they're, you know, they're faithfully walking that out and stepping that out and he wants to do that in the right kind of community with the right kind of people and, um, and I, I think all of that was, you know, was tremendously, um, you know, d- d- tremendously helpful to hear. Uh, I hope it's encouraging to some folks that are, you know, maybe, maybe there's somebody that's sitting out there that, that's listening to this right now that's saying, Hey, there's something about my ministry that I really you know, convictionally believe needs to change. Well, here's a guy who's a good example of, of someone who, you know who had that same sort of thought, and and a group of people that have that same sort of thought, and they really still don't completely know, you know, fully what the end game yeah. is going to be, and 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 all that that's going to, you know, going to mean for them. But they're, but they're committed to those principles, and they're walking them out faithfully, and and they're, and they're willing to encounter the mess and the difficulty and the hard conversations with donors and all the things that are necessary in order to, you know, in in order to be able to, to foster that kind of change. And so I I think, um, you know, go and do likewise. May we all have that kind of courage. Well, and I think,
1: you know, something I just thought of, which I, you know, I often say, you know, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah, Um, because in in what I was just thinking, and I don't know if this holds up and it may be an awesome new coin phrase that we all use and here on out. and It's just quoted and it's all over memes and everything. But, you know, I was just thinking some of the best things happen after you say, I don't know. Right. I mean, I just think of some of the things that I've learned that I've said, I don't know. And then somebody actually comes along or somebody introduces me into a mentor who can help me to know, or I learned something because I researched it because I didn't know. But if you think, you know, and if you fake it, that you're knowing, then nobody's going to give you that opportunity to say, Hey, let me introduce you to Ellie Oswald. Let me introduce you to Phil Aspegrain because they were to call, they called me and they're like, Hey, we want to some advice on transition. I'm like, I'm not your guy, but you know what? There's these other guys who I know that can help you with that. But if they didn't have that humility to call me and say, we don't have the answers. We don't know what, well, you know, it's not that they don't know what they're doing at all, but it, that you know, they're, they're really, as he said, I feel like I'm going blindfolded with a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're just kind of feeling your way through it and and you have, we have resources. We have people and that's kind of the, that's a big part of this show. We have you know, we're trying to bring to you these resources that, you know, both Rick and I have been able to have the privilege to become friends with or to know over the years that we can then introduce to you. And I haven't met a single guest who has said, hey, don't introduce people to me. If you if they ask you to connect me with it, I don't want to connect. I haven't met. There hasn't been a single guest that said that. And so, you know, and and to the contrary, most have been, hey, Here's my email address. If anyone contacts you, just have them have them drop me an email. Some have said have them drop me a text. No big deal. Right, so that's really the idea. That's why we do what we do. We really are wanting you know, we're here, we're on the same team. We're saying, "Hey, how can we get children into families? How can we get children to flourish? How can we help children and families to flourish? How can we be a part of that? A little part of that, sometimes it could be a big part of that, but We're just, again, taking that next faithful step to say, who's that next guest? Who's that next person that we can talk with? When you connect with us on Facebook, you know, like, or on an email, or if we're at a conference, if those things ever happen again in our lives, um, then we can actually have a conversation over coffee. We can have a lunch together, right? So these are things that, again, as I said earlier, you know, if you don't say, I don't know, a lot of things won't happen that might have happened if you did. Um and and that really is just that humility that openness. It's also an intentionality. It really is intentional because I I can tell you people that I, I remember in the past didn't say I don't know, and then six months later I found out they didn't know, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Like, think of all this carnage that happened. Think of all this happened in the wake of that. That trying to pretend like you knew because you you wanted to save face or you wanted to do other things. But anyway, that's just something that I've seen and I truly believe.
0: Hey, so here's what I don't know today. You know yes. what I don't know? Nope. I don't know what it is that you're going to tell us that's our recommended resource for the day. But I know you know. And so I, I do the know. good stuff, so I'm going to say I don't know, and then the good stuff's about to happen, right?
1: So this is a book that, you know, I, I, w- I was sitting here going, do I want to recommend it? Because it's something that, you know, it might seem like I'm recommending it because of the election. It actually is a recommendation that that I found is just fascinating. It gives a different perspective. It talks about a lot of this the nuances and things that, that we're talking about here. It talks about a kid who grew up in a in a broken a broken situation, a broken family situation, and and something that he came out of it um, in a way that I, I you know is is pretty amazing when you when you look at it. Um, it's also relevant to a lot of the conversations that we talk about here because this this it's a story of a of uh, of a white a white man who lives a life a lot of that we hear about in the context of the race relations and the race conversations that we're having that you wouldn't expect. But he grew up in, in really the Appalachia, you know, a region of the U.S. It's, it's called Hillbilly Elegy, and it's J.D. Vance. It's a book I've heard a lot about. Um, you may have heard of it as well. And it's just a really interesting book that that brings a new perspective for me because I, you know, I mean, here's the reality. I know nothing about the story. Um, It's it's something I'm learning because I grew up in South Orange County, California. You know, I'm this kid. <laughs> Couldn't be further from that. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, my parents weren't super wealthy, but they were extremely wealthy con- compared to, you know, this guy and compared to most people around the world. And to be able to live in a house with a mom and dad who are still together after 50 years, um, you know, it's, it's just an amazing child that I've been able to have. So to learn from this, to be able to see a different perspective, to be able to see uh, a man who, who was able to come out of this, it was it's, it's really been an incredibly eye-opening, um, just great book to read. And I, I, I strongly recommend it uh, if, if you haven't, if you haven't picked it up and read it already. So, anything else from you, Rick, before we sign off on this mid-season review?
0: Man, I'm gonna have to go pick up hillbillyology, I guess. But I probably have a better frame of reference for understanding it than you do. You
1: yeah. have the accent, so
0: <laughs> see, I, like I'm kicking the door wide open to give you that yeah, opportunity. That right? was a
1: softball. That was a softball, and oh, I, yeah. I, I tried to just hit a single rather than what I probably could have hit. <laughs> But uh, the sports references, we're just gonna keep them coming, folks. We're Dang. just gonna keep them coming. So remember, I went to I went to school in Nashville and I lived in Atlanta, so I have the fake South experience. Yeah, that's not cities. that's that's so, not the
0: South, bro. Like we've and, we've, talked, uh, we've talked about this. I know. That's, I've been to Birmingham. I've been there. It's true. We didn't let you stay. We did we?
1: We, <laughs> I drove through. we just said
0: we said you call football what?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. You know, head on
0: back to head on back to California.
1: Actually, in in all honesty, the only only reason I went to Birmingham, I had a deposition there. And when I was working as an attorney. (laughs) So, you know, beautiful town, beautiful town. Actually, the part I was in was not so beautiful. But anyway, we're going to bring it to a close. We could keep going down this rabbit trail. We're not going to. I'm going to show discipline and intentionality, as we've talked about in this episode. But folks, you know, again, we're here a huge. I mean, the only reason we're here really is to. Well, we have fun, so I guess that's that's a reason too, but it's really to help you to understand how we can work together, how we can collaborate, how we can understand together how we can love the orphan and the vulnerable, how we can get children into families, how we can help strengthen families, how we can help those um, people that are really working on the front lines um, to be able to bring justice to the fatherless, to be able to help all the children and families in their midst to flourish? What does that look like? You know, that's the conversation that we're hoping to have with you. You know, if you haven't already and you're listening to this and you want to get deeper involved, go to uh, Facebook and, and sign up for the Facebook group. Um, it's the Think Orphan Facebook group. And you answer a couple questions, get in, and then we'll have conversations there that are going to be deeper. Sometimes, you know, we'll have interview, you know, I'll ask for interview questions for guests. We'll be able to get kind of sneak previews on some of the episodes. But more than that, those are some of kind of the little things that we're trying to find little perks for you. But more than that, hopefully the perk is that you get to go deeper into these conversations. That's really what we're wanting to do. And it just facilitates that. So and if you haven't done so already as well, subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't have to search around for the episodes every time. It'll just come right into your podcast app, and then you can listen to the new the new episodes for that. Um, but beyond all that, I you know it's it's Rick and I we just hope and pray that that everything you're learning on this show. Everything you're learning from these resources we're talking about that you don't just say, oh, okay, whatever, that's another resource. But you you engage them. You, you listen to these books or you read these books or you watch the documentaries that we're talking about. These different guests that we've had have written these amazing resources for us. Check them out. And with all that you're learning on the show, with all that you're learning in these resources, we just hope and pray that you use it all to help you to love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. This is your moment. Your moments move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years,
1: Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead. So you can keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.